If you have your Bibles, open it up to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. Hmm. Book of Daniel, again, like I said, if we could go through all of the book of Daniel, it would be wonderful. If we could, uh, and for the sake of summertime, it's seriously not enough time to do that. But I would tell you this, there, there's so much that we're learning through these just brief few first chapters in the book of Daniel. Last week we talked about how to fight right when you don't agree with the king. How to fight right when you don't agree with the king. And I, and I said that there's four letters you need to put in front of you, D-W-D-D. Right? When, you, when you don't want to know how to fight right, do what Daniel did. How did Daniel do it? I love the fact that Daniel watched what he said with, with, with a sense of maturity and character and discernment before he just went out spouting off what he wanted to when he didn't agree with the king. I love the fact that there's such a clear picture of how to fight right when you don't agree with the king. And what does the king mean? The king can mean any number of things. It could mean the physical uh, king in your life. It can simply mean authority in your life. It could be uh, all kinds of things. And there's too much that we want to do. Some of us don't fight right when we don't agree with the king. We just get bitter and hard. And some of us know how to decide to just let it all rip and just say how we feel when we don't agree with the king. Uh, how, how do you do that? If you don't know, listen to last week's message. I'm telling you, there's something about learning how to fight right when you don't agree with the king. This week, I want to take us to Daniel chapter 6 and learn just a little bit more about this guy, Daniel. Man, I'll tell you what, every minute I watch this guy, I'm humbled by him. Every second I watch his life, I, I think to myself, man, how could a guy be so com completely committed to living right in the middle of unrightness? Like Daniel, how could a guy decide in his heart at age 17 or so when he was taken captive that he would stick his feet in the ground and decide not to waver his entire life? When you begin to look at the book of Daniel, we can look at Daniel from 10,000 feet and push back and see the, the, the beginning and the middle and the end of this whole story. And here's what we see. A dude who was brought into captivity who didn't waver in his faith his entire time. It's impressive. It's impressive to stop and look at somebody who said, this is the direction I'm going and I'm not going to be let off course. In fact, he rather said, I'm going to lead others in the right path. And when I look at Daniel, I think to myself, I want to learn to walk like you walk. I want to learn to live like you live. The thing I love about Daniel is he's just a dude. He's just a guy. He's just a normal guy who decided that he was going to live right when the world was living wrong. <laughs> Whatever the circumstances were that brought Daniel to the place that he was, he decided that God had a plan for him there, and he was going to learn to live right. When was the last time you had that thought? But you realize that God had placed you at this job or in this marriage or at this housing situation or in that classroom or with that teacher and decided, God, you put me here. I'm going to do what you want me to do here. When was the last time you had that thought versus how do I get out of here? What can I do to stake my claim on what I feel is right? See, so often I think as Christians we just have this this. this I don't know what it is, this prevailing pressure to, to stake our claim on our version of what is right. I love that Daniel just simply said, I'll just do what's right in the midst of wrong. I'm not going to say anything about it. I'm just going to do what's right in the midst of wrong. I love, I'm telling you, something about Daniel that I think I want to, I, I want to follow him. I, I want to I follow after his leadership like these, these sheep were following after this crazy goat leading them astray. I want to follow somebody that says, I want to live it righteous before God. 
Amen. This point in the story of Daniel chapter 6, Daniel now uh, is in his 90s, near 90. So he's upwards to 90 years old. Could have been late 80s, early 90s. Daniel had been journeying in this course for 70 plus years. He'd been living this righteous life in the middle of wrong for a long, long time. I love this. Daniel was a man who made a difference. Daniel was a man who served under three different regimes, but really four. The fourth one was when he was in Judah, and he was serving under a crazy, ungodly king in Judah. Then he was taken captive from Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar brought him up. He lived righteous before Nebuchadnezzar for a period of time. And next thing you know, he was promoted to one of the highest in the kingdom. And then a new king, Nebuchadnezzar dies. A new guy comes in, Belshazzar. Belshazzar comes in and raises up in his ungodly kingdom. Daniel raises to the surface as being one of the righteous there. Then this next regime shows up, and this is what Daniel chapter 6 was, was when the, uh, the, the Medo-Persian Empire comes in and overtakes all of Babylon. Overtakes all of Babylon. And this is what, what happens is in chapter 6, we see Daniel being, so get this. So he's taken captive by the Babylonians. The Babylonians now, a bunch of years later, get taken over by a new regime who doesn't like the Babylonians, nor do what they, they stand for. And Daniel seems still righteous in the midst of all this. So like a second bad guy comes in and says, well, we're worse than them. And Daniel raises up to a righteous platform of leadership in that government. Who do you want to walk behind? I'm looking at him, and I'm like, man, that dude just didn't waver. It didn't matter if there was a good guy in front of him. He was going to live right in the midst of wrong. Man, it doesn't take much for us to get knocked off our mark, does it? It doesn't take much for us to say, you know what? God, it ain't fair. <laughs> God, that's not fair. Did not that God loved us? How come bad things happen to good people? We go into all of those questions instead of saying, God, I will follow you with all my heart. Whatever you place before me. The crazy thing was is Daniel's impact into these ungodly nations impacted more than just Daniel. It impacted the king and his, his whole regime and all of the Jews who were still held captive during that whole period of time. Daniel chapter 6 says he's currently serving under a guy named uh, uh, Darius or Darius. So Darius or Darius. Now the thing we don't know is uh, Darius. It says, there's kind of a synonymous thing just for this the history buffs. There's Darius or his, I'll just go with Darius instead of Darius. Darius was the guy who was the one that was put over this guy Daniel and what was going on. Darius could also be, could be a name, but it could also be uh, a title kind of like Pharaoh or Caesar or the king, Darius. I think honestly what this was is because synonymously in history, you, some might read the Bible and think there's a contradiction because at the same time Darius was ruling, a guy named Cyrus was ruling. And so there's this confusion as to how and who and who was the one. Uh, I, as I did my research this last week, here's what I found. Darius was really more of a title. So in other words, when they said Darius or when they said, C, or, or when they said uh, Cyrus, they were really talking about the same person. It's like talking about... Uh, 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 Caesar or a particular uh, Flavius Caesar. It's like there's different people with the title. I think Cyrus was the one all along. 
You can see in 2 Chronicles 36 or in Ezra chapter 1, when Cyrus was the one that set the children of Israel back to, from captivity, was the same guy that's referred to as this Darius the Mede. Same idea. Medo-Persian Empire will refer to him as Darius, but really it's probably Cyrus as well. There you go. Take that home. I love this. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. Darius, the Mede, had decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. He appointed, the, he appointed a prince to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the princes, uh, to watch out, I'm sorry, over the princes and to watch out for the king's interest. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and princes. Because of his great ability, the king made plans to make him, uh, to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and princes began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling his affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize. He was faithful and honest and always did what was responsible. How about that? So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in, will be in connection with the requirements of his religion. How about that? Daniel's doing everything. He can't find anything that, to blame him for. He's living right in the midst of wrong, making healthy, godly decisions, deciding to put bad people away and good people, whatever. He's doing all the right things, and the only way they can finally come against him is in the area of his walk with God. Hmm. Love this. Darius decides to raise up these 120 leaders, and then it says these three administrators, so Daniel and two others, to, to put over them. Some of your Bibles, if you have an older, or the American Standard or King James, might say, and three presidents, right? The word, this is the only place in the Bible the word president shows up. It actually means one who uh, is a chief or a ruler over. In fact, it's interesting because it says that there's 120 satraps or, or, or these princes, and then there were three presidents or three chiefs or three rulers and actually the the real translation says and over those three was one daniel so here's the crazy thing or over the two was daniel which made him the third here's the point of this whole thing daniel was already overseeing all of these princes and administrators he was like second in command i mean he was like a big deal going on let's go on i love this by the way have you ever felt alone in your walk with God, in your place of business? Do you ever feel like you're the only one who's the Christian in the midst of all of the craziness around you? you ever been in that class when that teacher says that thing, and you're just like, oh my gosh, is anyone else hearing this? you ever been at work when you see that situation show up, and you're the, you, 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 everyone's laughing at the off-color joke, and you're saying to yourself, I'm a Christian, i got to hold myself differently. Do you ever feel like you're the only Christian in a room? you ever had that scenario happen? Yeah, this is Daniel, and then some. He's like the only Christian in the, in the room. <laughs> He's the only one who's like walking righteous in the midst of unrighteousness. I love this. Go down to verse 6. So the administrators, those 120 guys, and the princes went in to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We administrators, prefects, princes, advisors, and all other officials have unanimously agreed that your majesty should make a law that's strictly enforced. Give the orders that the next 30 days, anyone who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown to the lions. 
And let your majesty issue and sign this law so that it cannot be changed. The law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. Hmm. Amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. It says that we all got together and unanimously agreed. First of all, chances are pretty likely they didn't invite Daniel to that meeting. Just got a funny feeling that he didn't get the invite to come to the meeting on making the king God for the month. Because it was 30 days of worship, right? So can you imagine? He gets promoted to God for the month. He gets a chance to get worshipped by all this. Let me tell you this. If you don't have any reason to stop worship, there's nothing that would be more tempting than that. If you had nothing else to say, like, hey, man, I'm going to worship God. Somebody comes up, your, your whole network comes up to you and says, you ungodly human, whoever you are, we're all going to stop and worship you. <laughs> we're going to make a statue of you and make a big deal about you. Let me tell you this, it would have been really hard for that guy to stand up and say, no, 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 don't forget about Daniel because he's really important to me. He didn't do that at all. And by the way, it says that they made him sign a piece of paper. We need to know about that particular time in Medo-Persian law, which we don't know much of, that it was the law of the Medes and the Persians. What we do know is that when they would write something down, it was irrevocable even by the king. The king couldn't undo it because he signed his name. And when you signed your name to something, it was law that was irrevocable. So he signed into law for himself to be worshipped as God for the month. And everyone else said, hoorah. They were all about it, wanting to come and give this guy his worship. Hmm. It's amazing, isn't it? How, how, how the, it's amazing to me how quickly the world that we live in can decide at one point or another what's the most valuable thing to focus on. And then we all jump ship and try to join that thing. It's amazing how quickly we can throw our values and our character out the window for something that everyone else is doing. I wonder how, how, how easy it is for every one of us to see something that didn't used to be okay, but now it becomes okay because there's a large group of people saying it's okay. And because a large group of people saying it's okay, we decide that it's okay. I wonder sometimes what it's like to be the one person that stands against the current of the culture. And we see someone like Daniel saying, I'm not going to bow to your idol. In fact, we see Daniel actually saying nothing. That's what's astonishing to me. He says nothing. I, I don't even, I gotta, be, I gotta be honest with you. I think he was probably near the king when the issue was decreed. Ironically, it says that Daniel actually heard this. Listen to what it says. It says, uh, Daniel chapter 6, it doesn't say heard, but it says he learned in uh, 6 verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, Daniel learned that the law had been signed. Daniel, he didn't say a word in defense. He's the boss of all of these guys. Daniel is like the leader of these leaders. And Daniel, the Bible says, said not a word. But he did do something. I love this. It says, but instead, he went home. He knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. With his window open towards Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he always done giving thanks to his God. But when Daniel learned the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual. Man, if there's some words in the Bible that, that cause you to just stop and look at, it's got to be these. 
Daniel now knows that his next step is going to present to him a death sentence. Daniel, in all of his virtue, to try to live right in the midst of wrong, to uphold all the things, has to make a decision to, to continue what he's always done. He's always prayed morning, noon, and night. Probably got that from the Psalms and King David. But we, we find him deciding that it's noontime. This law came into order probably at the morning time. It, it decides, he, he says, it's noon. I'm going to do what I usually do. What I usually do is I go home, I kneel down and pray, and then probably grab a bite to eat. I don't know. But the Bible says that he went home and did what he usually did. What do you usually do? What in your life do you usually do all the time? What's something in your life, on your, your path of, of virtue, on your path of doing what's right in the midst of wrong, what is it that you do, decide to do usually? Is there a thing that you usually do? Do you usually get up every day and have your time with God and pray and get your heart in the right place? Do you, or do you usually complain when things go wrong? And everyone says, go left, and you decide to go left. <laughs> or complain about everyone going left and say, it's not fair. How can you complain to God, perhaps? Or maybe you complain to those around you. What do you usually do when everything goes crazy? Maybe you go online when everything goes wrong. Everyone's hanging a left, and you decide that you're going to hang a left. But instead of that, you decide to, to go crazy on the Internet or to look and, and find your justification for your right place and, and decide that what I usually do is this thing. My question for you is, is, what do you usually do when everything goes awry? Bundle up in a heap, shout at the top of the mountains how unfair it is. You know, I wonder sometimes how, how we would respond if we were in Daniel's situation. Let, let me tell you this. I, I can tell you exactly, 100% surety, how you would respond if you were placed in the situation that Daniel was. I mean, like a, the, a, a proposition of death if you don't acquiesce and do what they say. How would you respond how would you respond if the everyone bow to this idol or everyone say yes to this whatever it is and you decide to just go for it to keep peace at all costs? But let me tell you what you will do or would have done if you were in Daniel's situation. I think it's almost with 100% certainty. Here's what you personally would have done if you were in that situation. You know what it is? You would have done what you usually do. Because we all do. We all do what we usually do. When life gets hard and, and the waves get high and the winds blow hard, here's what most of us do. We do exactly what we usually do. If your usual is to complain, you'll complain. If your usual is to drop to your knees, open your window, and let her rip to Jesus, that's what you'll do. Are you satisfied with what you usually do? <laughs> Are you good with your usual? Here's the great news. God brought you to church today to help you look at your usual. Are you good with what you usually do? It's not fair. Or I bow to my I bow my knee to Jesus and let everyone in the brothers, every one of the brothers outside looking in this window. I mean, you know beyond anything else that these guys, these princes, these whatever, decided to follow him home to lunch, right? And you know that, here's the question I have is, why didn't Daniel just close the window? Well, why didn't Daniel just 
uh, decide to pray quietly standing up? Why didn't Daniel go sit down in the other room and not sit in front of the window? You know why, right? Because it wasn't what he usually did. He did what he usually did. We all will do what you usually do. If your go-to when you're fed up is to go to your Bible, you'll go to your Bible. If your go-to when you're fed up is to hit Google, you'll go to Google. <laughs> what, are you gonna, what do you usually do? Man, let me tell you this. I, I feel like I want to camp here just for a second. What is your usual thing? I love this, that Daniel knew that he had the threat. And by the way, this is 90-plus or 90-something-year-old or Daniel. Caught up by a threat of a bunch of people who decided to put his life to a test. Daniel just decided, hey, look, man, I'll do what I usually do. I think it's amazing to me that this is Daniel, right? By the way, Daniel had been in this land, this Babylonian land, at this point now, the Medo Persian land, for 70 plus years, right? 70 years. You know, 70 years was the amount of time that God told them to uh, be in captivity. So a whole bunch of his, his people, Jews from the book of Nehemiah, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, all already started their journeys back to the promised land. They all started their, 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 their getting out of this. Cyrus decreed, you guys can go back to your promised land. So Daniel stays in the land of Babylon and does what he usually did. <laughs> like all of his people are leaving and he decides to still stay strong. How do you react when everything goes awry and those around you who aren't strong? Do you remain faithful and strong? Or do you roll over? Hmm. Verse 11. The officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asked for God's help. Asking for God's help. So they went back to the king, reminded the king about his law. Did you not sign the law that for the next 30 days anyone who prays Divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown to the lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It's the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Verse 14. Hearing this, the king was very angry with himself. Amazing. He was very angry with himself. Signing the law, he tried to find a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament in the evening, men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, knows, your majesty knows that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the lion's den. Then the king said to Daniel, May your God whom you worship continually rescue you. This, this just amazes me. Here's the crazy thing. Get this. Daniel would probably... He had been in the kingdom for a while, but he had only been with this king for about a year, maybe two. Within a year or two, Daniel, the Bible says, shows up here in his life, his character, his virtue. It begins to show up in the middle of wrongness as very clear. The Bible says here, up and earlier on in the same chapter, that he was head and shoulders above the rest. It was very clear how he carried himself. And I love this, this ungodly, unrighteous, Medo-Persian leader says, you're God, you're God. Maybe he can do something about it. In fact, I love how the message translation actually translates that same verse 16. It says, the king caved and ordered Daniel be brought and thrown into the lions. But, but then he said to Daniel, your God, whom you are, your God to whom you are so loyal is going to get you out of this. Love it. The king actually had faith. 
He signed a law the king had. Where did the king get this measure of faith about Daniel's God? Where did he learn about Daniel's God? How did he figure out that Daniel's God could actually save him miraculously? No one gets saved from a den of lions. Where did this king get this information about Daniel? I, I think it was because Daniel may have told him about the dreams that he interpreted for Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe he began to talk to him about when Nebuchadnezzar built the statue and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace and there was not just three of them, there was four of them in there. Maybe Daniel began to say, this God of mine is crazy. In fact, it's amazing to me to think about this. This 70-year time frame when Daniel was in there in this role of leadership, I don't know if it was before the lion's den or after the lion's den, but something changed Cyrus or Darius. Something changed him to provoke him to send all the children of Israel back to their land. You know what I think it was? Daniel. Daniel's righteous right living in front of an ungodly king. I think it changed him so much that the entire nation was sent back to their land of promise. Because one dude decided to say, I'm going to do it right in the midst of wrong. Hmm. Crazy. Verse 17. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel from the lions. The king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't go to sleep all that night. That's too bad. Verse 19. Very early the next morning, the king hurried to the lion's den. When the king got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God. By the way, how did he know that title? He knew that title because Daniel was a servant of the living God all the time. Servant of the living God. Was your God whom you worship continually able to save you from these lions? What a crazy question. Huh. I love this. Verse 21. Daniel answered, long live the king. Of course he said that. May God, my God, sent his angels to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me. I have been found innocent in his sight and have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den because he was 90 years old. Not a scratch was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel and had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and their children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they hit the floor of the den. It's interesting. Some commentators actually think the reasons the lions didn't eat Daniel was because they were old. And they were, they were, they were old and toothless. There's some commentators who say, like, ah, oh, there's only a couple of them in there. Daniel hid in the corner. I just wonder sometimes, like, did they read the rest of the chapter? The last couple of verses say that, that all this, these men, and by the way, it sounds horribly unfair that this unjust king would throw these men in there and their wives and their children. The law of the Medes and the Persian was pretty harsh. But let me tell you what it was trying to say. What he's trying to say is when you break the law, even of the Medes and the Persians, your name will be removed from planet Earth. Your wife, your children, all of them. You're, you'll no longer exist on the planet. Your name, gone. Like, it's amazing to me, right? You, you hear this story. Like, this is historical fact. 
Daniel shows up in this moment, decides to live right in the midst of wrong. The king sees something in him, decides to foolishly receive the glory and the worship from something he shouldn't have done, decides to put something in order. Next thing you know, Daniel's in, the, in this crazy den of lions. We don't know how many were in there, how many lions were in there, but it certainly was enough that every person that was thrown in after him were ripped to shreds before they hit the floor. Specific words written in your Bible. That means there were some hungry lions down there. But there was an angel who stood on behalf and just kept not only their mouth shut, but kept their claws to themselves. Something caused these lions to be still while Daniel sat down there in the midst of a hellish moment. Daniel didn't waver in his belief for God. Now, here's the crazy thing. What if Daniel had been dropped down there and was eaten? Would that make his testimony any less strong? No, I think it still would be strong. I think his, his, his testimony would still be alive and real and true. I don't know if any of you caught any of this. But how to live a virtuous life. I love this. I just want to read a couple of these things. I'm going to go down. I'm sorry I'm not going to put those other things on the board. I don't have time. But I want to point this out. I was reading this whole story, and I don't know about you, but sometimes when you read your Bibles, do you ever like get these little, hey, that sounded familiar. That sounded familiar. Did any of you catch any of this stuff that sounded familiar? Can I tell you this whole story of Daniel in the lion's den is an Old Testament foreshadowing of Jesus' last days on earth. His last days on earth. Let, let me show you the, 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 the correlation of the events that transpired. Jesus, the last, day on, last days on the earth, like during the Last Supper. It, this is amazing to me because Daniel was foreshadowing this event that was about to happen. The one who lived righteous, one who lived blameless, one who didn't defend himself. Uh, listen to this. I'll just put a few of these up here. There's about 23 different things, but I'll give you about 15 or 20, 15 of them. Listen to this. The administrators of the satraps conspired against Daniel, just like the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders conspired against Jesus. They followed Daniel trying to find something to charge him with, just like they followed Jesus and trying to charge him with something. Daniel's enemies came up with a plan to arrest him, just like Jesus' enemies came up with a plan to arrest him. Daniel's enemies spied on him to catch him. Jesus' enemies spied on him to catch him. When the plan was put into motion, Daniel goes to prayer. When the plan was put into action at the Last Supper, Jesus goes to prayer. After he was arrested, Daniel immediately was taken to judgment. After being arrested, Jesus was immediately taken to judgment. Daniel was found guilt. Daniel is found guilty of transgressing of the law of the Medes and Persians. Jesus was found guilty of transgressing the law of the Jews. Darius is distressed. Darius is distressed uh, at that Daniel must be sentenced to the lion's den, even though Darius or Darius was the one that sentenced him. Pontius Pilate was distressed when Jesus was sentenced to, to the cross, even though it was Pilate who did the sentencing. Darius was unable to sleep. The wife of Pontius Pilate was troubled with her sleep. Darius pours over the law to find some way to save Daniel before the sentence carried out, just like Pontius Pilate tries to find a way to save Jesus. The satraps saved, uh, have Darius, Darius cornered. The Pharisees have Pilate cornered. Daniel placed, was placed into a den. Jesus was placed into a tomb. A giant rock was placed at the, the mouth of the lion's den. A giant rock was placed in front of the tomb. The king's seal was placed over the seal. The Roman seal was placed over the rock. Over and over and over and over again. 
We see all of these moments. And at the end of the day, the stone was rolled away and Jesus emerged alive. It's the same when, when the, he was no longer in the den. In the same way when, when he was lifted out of the den. There's this beautiful picture, again, from the Old Testament to the New Testament of saying, listen, this Jesus is who you need to follow. The reason we could follow Daniel is because Daniel was following Jesus, if you will. Daniel was following a right path. My question to you this morning is, is who are you following? Who are you looking at to emulate? The guy who's got lots of stuff and things in his account, in his 401k, and all of the things, because that's what's going to make you happy? Or the, 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 the person who has the, the right numbers show up on the scale because that's going to do it for your whatever? What is it that's going to make you the person that you're supposed to be? What virtuous person are you following? These pictures were given to us so that we wouldn't have to figure out how to do it on our own. I love this. I love the image that God puts forth for us to say, listen, once again, I want to show you, you can do all things through Christ that gives you strength. Will you trust me? Will you walk with me? I want to receive or have us partake of communion this morning. So ushers, can you get that ready and maybe begin to Go ahead and pass out the elements. Just go ahead and take a cup out. Now, I want to do communion today because I want us to really spend some time asking ourselves who we're following. Who in our lives are we allowing to uh, be the direction pointers, the ones who determine the value of our lives? What, what is a value? What is not a value? What is, uh, what is pretty? What is not pretty? What is handsome? What is not handsome? What is acceptable? What is not acceptable? Go ahead, guys. You need to just come forward. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Are you living a virtuous life? Oh, thank you, my brother. Thank you, brother. Mm -hmm, thank you. Are you living a virtuous life? Yes. Who are you following? As you get these elements in your hands, you can just take the two cups out, separate them, and you'll see a, a little wafer underneath the top cup. Can we prepare our hearts this morning to receive communion? I, I like to say receive communion, not take communion, because I think it's really what we're supposed to be about, is receiving something that God's gifting us. So let's pray. God. Would you prepare our hearts as we begin to partake? Lord, we see in the Bible a life of Daniel that was lived virtuously. God, one that was set apart, one that decided that his life would be marked by you. His life wouldn't be a flash in the pan of goodness for a short period of time. Lord, it was literally going to be a life that would be set apart for you and you alone. Lord, I pray that you help us this morning to find ourselves following after, after you. Or as Paul says, following him after he follows Christ. God, I pray that you help us to journey this course in a fashion that's honorable to you. The Bible says not to partake of communion in an unworthy fashion. 
Maybe in your heart this morning, you're having a place where you've been harboring bitterness or unforgiveness towards another. Maybe in your heart, you've been hanging on to that thing and it's been holding you back and you keep bumping into it and every now and again, it shows up and rears its ugly head. Maybe this morning, you need to give that right to Jesus. Maybe this morning, you need to come before God and ask him to forgive you. Let's go ahead and do that this morning. God, forgive me for the places that I have held dear to my heart that I have not allowed you access to. Lord, forgive me for the bitterness or unforgiveness that I've harbored towards another. Lord, that my heart could be pure and open before you. The Bible says that the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and they said, eat this, all of you. This is my body that is about to be broken for you. When you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's go ahead and partake of the bread. After supper, the Bible says that Jesus took the cup cup of redemption no less it was actually called redemption he took the cup and he held it up and he said guys this is my this is the cup of my blood a blood of a new and everlasting covenant it's about to be shed for you and for all so that all men's sin can be forgiven drink this cup partake of it let it become a part of every cell of your body do this and remember what i'm doing for you in jesus name let's partake Lord, thank you so much for today. Thanks for the example that you've given us in Daniel and in Paul and in you. God, we worship you. We don't want to follow aimlessly after some Judas goat. God, we want to follow deliberately after you and those who, who, who run in front of us that follow you. We need you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Awesome. We have guys walking around with these buckets.